we have to talk about consciousness. Our life is actually a midpoint between the two deaths. To use the sexual energy in order to achieve enlightenment. The three-dimensional spiral shape encoded in our DNA, in our biology. Hello everyone and welcome to yet another episode from Discomfort Zone Podcast. It's a pleasure as always to be here. I'm excited to see so many people already in chat. Crimson Clad, welcome Rondon. Great as always to see you. Redirect, wonderful to have you here. Don't always get to see you. And Abigail Honey, thank you all so much for joining for a fresh new uh, episode. How are you all doing? How has this uh, week been for you? Um, I'll, uh, I, uh, it's been an intense period these last uh, few days and weeks for us, but uh, we've been working hard, things are moving forward, so uh, all good things, just a lot, a lot of work, but it's, uh, yeah, it's hard sometimes to find the time also to uh, prepare for the podcast, so I, uh, I admit that I was uh, late and only got around to it today, um, but it's a good one. So I hope it will be worthwhile. I'll see if the uh, timing is right. You know me, I always, uh, it's hard. It's hard to get it exactly right, but uh, it should be a good one. We're actually continuing straight where we were left off uh, from last week. But before we jump into the actual episode, I have to correct a mistake that I made uh, that was pointed out to me where I mentioned feng shui and wasn't sure if it was Chinese or Japanese, which uh, which really isn't like me. Um, so just to clear it up, that feng shui is indeed Chinese as as a lot of these things are, and it arrived into uh, in Japan, and then in Japan um, they sort of have their own system that's based on this and has obviously evolved to something else today. Um, but feng shui, and as we know it, and that uh, terminology, that name is actually the the Chinese. So I just wanted to clear that up for those of you who've been walking around not knowing which is which. Now you know. Okay, um, so let's get started with this week's episode. And this week we're going to be talking about. Um, a few things, but it's going to be circling around the ship that was on the pyramid. So if you listened last week, uh, we mentioned that sort of the top of the pyramid is, uh, as it were, cut off. And on top of it, um, there were actually two pieces, and one of those was a ship. And uh, I deliberately don't call it a spaceship because it's not uh, exactly a spaceship per se. Um, we'll get into more later. And on top of that, there was the capstone, um, which is said to have been completely uh, uh, solid gold and basically a miniature replica of the uh, the Great Pyramid um, right at the top. So this week, we're going to be talking a little bit about the ship and indeed the role uh, that it played and uh, some of what it was used to. It was actually an integral part of the pyramid and is something that we will go into uh, even more in later episodes. But for now, we're going to focus on the story and where we are chronologically speaking. So how, how are you guys, the, for those of you who are the regular listeners, um, how are you feeling about this narrative? We, we finished sort of Sitchin's narrative, which I think was a very, very different pace and, and flavor, and they're very, very different characters, Drumvalon, um, Sitchin. So I'd be, I'd be happy to hear if you have any comments as to how you're finding this narrative, the Drumvalon and the sort of the pace and the way um, that the story is, is being built. I'm, we're right now in this longer 
uh, chronology of sort of the human history and how we got to where we are today. But that is actually a very small part in uh, in the book in general. But uh, it's 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 sort of a lot of vital information that uh, becomes also relevant later on. So yeah, let me know in the chat, and I will. Uh, well, let's just uh, jump right in. Um, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, for sure. Oh, no. I thought you told me that I have to change something, but you uh, you hear me okay, right? Levels okay, all looks good on my end. I think could be a little bit louder, but there we go. So in the uh, in the narrative that we've been talking about, we actually reached this uh, sort of point where both and uh, Ra and Uraga, the three. Uh, uh, sort of enlightened beings who had um, were working as emissaries here on Earth, getting everything ready, etc., um, had finished sort of constructing the pyramid, and the the grid itself was all set up, and they were now basically uh, waiting for this shift. Now, as as we we've talked about this shift before, and uh, at this point, indeed. Um, Druvilla goes into a bit more detail as to what exactly uh, we're talking about. Um, it's not exactly just this, uh, you know, reversing of the poles and uh, change of electromagnetic frequency. It's actually something quite more substantial uh, than that. And the way that it's been described or, or written through the ages and preserved uh, for us is this uh, period of absolute darkness um, that engulfed the world. The whole world was plunged into uh, darkness, um, and depending on the culture, some uh, say it was three days, some say it was uh, five days. Um, the most famous, I think, um, uh, mention of it in history books was actually probably from the uh, Old Testament, where they talk about uh, Egypt being plagued with uh, the blackness, and that this blackness was not just, you know, it being dark, but actually something that you could physically couldn't move, and uh, the description, or maybe not in the old text, but the interpretations are rather sort of mystical. Um, and so we'll, we'll get into that as uh, as we go along as well. Um, but Thoth and the other members are basically finished with this part of the uh, plan of what they needed to do. And they're now sort of getting prepared for when this shift will come, um, as they knew it was coming. And there are these sort of signs um, that Drunvalo mentions uh, that sort of tell us that these things are, are upon us. And so once uh, they had seen these signs happening, uh, various things like, you know, uh, weather shifts and uh, strange unnatural behavior uh, exhibited here on Earth, um, they decided that it, they understood that it was time basically for the next phase. And so this next phase is where they actually went to the pyramids in Egypt to get this uh, aforementioned ship. Now, in Druvalo's description of the ship and his uh, in his fashion, um, it's a it's a, it's a very interesting uh, description, which is sort of slightly scientific and slightly uh, mystical uh, all at the same time. And so he says the biggest uh, feature about it is that it was a uh, perfect circle uh, in its shape, and it was three atoms thick um, throughout most, and it had a sort of um, a pattern on it um, of this like flowery uh, geometric shape. And this pattern was the part that was um, five atoms thick. So it was slightly sort of bulging up. Um, when you think about this description of something being three atoms thick, I mean, uh, funnily enough, I think when Drunvalo wrote this, I'm not sure how advanced they were, but today uh, we do have 
scientific sort of technology that's capable of uh, constructing materials that are one atom thick um, and, and two and three, etc. But whenever we talk about it in a scientific context, it has a lot to do with the, um, the actual structure and the way that these things are built together. Um, with Drumvelo's very, very uh, gim description of the ship and the technology and how it works, um, it seems very important to emphasize that this ship was not merely a physical structure. So even with this scientific description of it being you know, very, very thin, as it were, and this geometric shape, um, it's clear that this is not a uh, purely physical structure that was assembled uh, in the third dimension. And uh, the reason for this is twofold. One is that um, as it sort of sat on the pyramid, um, if we had an overview of the pyramid from above, we would see that that was a uh, circle, the shape of the ship, which was uh, exactly sort of uh, encompassing the square of the pyramid underneath. And this actual uh, sort of placing of one shape on the other is a rather famous um, concept in sacred geometry. And in fact, when I was uh, preparing for this episode and going over all of these things, I remembered that the first time I'd really uh, understood or read about this phenomenon was in a book that I've already mentioned once, which is called uh, Quadrivium. And it's a book about sacred geometry, and it really is a, um, a practical guide how to sort of draw and uh, design with sacred geometry. Um, but in the beginning of, or, or on every page, there's a short description of whatever the, the theme, the concept is that they're talking about. And so one of the concepts is uh, circling the square. And so I just want to read very, very quickly a short passage uh, from the book. I usually write up the uh, sort of quotes, but I, I think you'll be able to follow along. So the book says, The circle is the shape traditionally assigned to the heavens, and the square to the earth. Now, when these two shapes are unified by being made equal in area or perimeter, we speak of squaring the circle or circling the square, meaning that heaven and earth or spirit and matter are symbolic. Uh, symbolically combined or married. Okay, so what does that mean? Well, if we break it down, I hope this is relatively intuitive. Uh, I think it should be. Um, we can talk about masculine and feminine, where I think for most of us, we sort of intuitively agree that the circle is more feminine and the square is more masculine. Um, this is, again, not gender-based at all. This is the phenomenon of femininity uh, versus masculinity, or not versus, but alongside masculinity. Um, and so with that, the femininity was always the heavenly, and the uh, masculinity was more um, earth-centric, as it were. And so with these two shapes, again, we have the circle representing the heaven, uh, the square representing the earth, and just an interesting tidbit and side note, as you know, I love my uh, Go references. Um, in the game of Go, this is symbolized by the board being uh, in the shape of a square, where it's um, representing the whole world, as it were, Earth uh, in, the, in the dimensional sense. Um, and on top of it, you place the circles, which represent uh, either the people, but sort of the spiritual element, the moving dynamic element, the yang to the board's yin, uh, as it were, sort of the motion that's on top of the stillness. Um, so these these concepts of um, circles and squares and the way they inter, uh, interpolate, uh, interact, 
um, are really uh, robust in human culture and human history, less so obviously in the West because we're slightly less uh, spiritually and uh, you know mystically inclined. But in all of the places where people dealt with these subjects, it was very clear that these two shapes and their interconnection were were meaningful. And so this this um, theme, this idea of circling the square, is really what the uh, social, the people who, the, the beings who designed uh, the pyramid had in mind, where the pyramid being the square shape uh, made from stone, uh, from the earth around, um, and again in the pyramid shape, so not only a square when it's looked at two-dimensionally, but indeed the, the pyramid being a, a very masculine shape as well. And the, the idea behind it, that these, this shape was affecting the energy um, in a certain way. And so on top of this, um, if we can imagine, sort of right at the top, there is this circle that the, uh, in this case, the, the perimeter, the, um, the circumference of the circle was equal in distance to the perimeter of the pyramid, the base uh, of the pyramid. Yeah, so the, the, the way around the pyramid was equal in length to the way around the spaceship, uh, in case my geometry uh, <laughs> is a bit rusty. Um, so what this means was that this uh, connection of circling the square, which is not just a sort of geometric mathematical connection, but points to a spiritual uh, uh, energetic connection where these two uh, shapes can coincide and sort of uh, harmon harmoniously uh, interact and cause an effect. And so as we've seen with the uh, square shape being the masculine, when it comes to the ship, the ship was not um, of the physical earth as was the pyramid, but was in fact of this, uh, of the heavens, uh, spiritually inclined, more uh, energy based of a higher frequency uh, than the lower frequencies of Earth, okay? Now, I know this might sound a little bit like uh, too much uh, mumbo-jumbo, but we'll we'll get into it more and more as we go on. But for now, um, what the ship was being used for, uh, Drumvelo goes into this whole tale, which I'm not going to go into right now. It's sort of a, an amusing anecdote, but nothing more. But uh, telling about the function of the, sh the ship as part of um, sorry, as part of Earth's defense system. Excuse me. So the ship, uh, in times of emergency, can be used as a, a defense uh, system uh, for the planet for the beings. But uh, it has sort of many different roles, and that was the small one that Drumvela mentions for us. And in our narrative, it's being used primarily as a mode of uh, transport, um, much like any uh, aircraft, as it were. Um, so I, I, I purposely am not calling it a spaceship or, you know, an airship or anything like that, because it's not, um, it shouldn't be confined to those limited aspects. But in our narrative and what we're talking about right now, it was primarily used for transporting people, basically, uh, across the globe. Um, okay, oh! Uh, all Indigo and Alpha Pacino. Al Alpha Chino. <laughs> uh, thank you very much for joining. Welcome, welcome. We're talking about the uh, the, the pyramid ship, as everyone uh, is talking about these days. So, both and uh, the other members basically uh, went to At uh, Atlantis uh, with the ship, and there they uh, picked up, as it were, 
the Ascended Masters, the uh, previous Nicoles, um, and indeed on top of the 1,000 souls who had uh, ascended uh, during the times of Lemuria, there were another 600 uh, Atlanteans who had uh, achieved enlightenment. So throughout this time, we, we'd mentioned, I'll just mention again, uh, throughout this time on Atlantis, uh, throughout its whole history, there was this mystery school of the Nicals, which was uh, acting to uh, liberate, to uh, help the souls there um, achieve enlightenment. Oh, wonderful. You've watched the videos. You watched them on 3Speak uh, and or on YouTube. Well, it's uh, great to catch you, to hear, have you here catching the live show. I'm so glad you, uh, you managed to join. It's not easy pulling people from, from the... Uh, the intertubes onto a live show on Discord, in my experience. So I'm, I'm very glad you made it. <laughs> um, so, yes. Uh, the, the, the mystery school, uh, just to, to be absolutely clear about what we mean, this isn't just sort of this ancient history alien. Nothing. This is something that exists even today um, and has existed as far as we can tell throughout uh, human history um, in certain cultures, obviously. But in India... Um, if you go in, in many places in Asia, uh, China, Japan, there are monasteries and uh, these places that are meant to bring souls and to help them basically, uh, you know, be liberated from uh, the, the cycle of life and death and be uh, to ascend to a higher state of being. So during this time on Atlantis, um, the thousands of years, uh, 600 new uh, beings um, managed to ascend and so they joined with the other thousand in their ranks and uh, the three um, sort of leaders shall we call them uh, both uh, Ra and Araragat um, brought them among aboard, aboard uh, the spaceship right not the <laughs> after all that not the spaceship <laughs> the pyramid ship um, and they went back to the pyramid now uh, the reason that they did this um, is very important, and that is that during um, the polar shift, something very interesting happens. And as we've spoken about uh, the electromagnetic waves and the effect that it has both on us um, and in general, you know, how it's connected to the Earth, according to Drumvelo, what happens is that there is this, we can liken it to uh, an electromagnetic pulse, an EMP, uh, for those of you who watch The Matrix. And as an EMP sort of um, wipes out uh, live circuits, in that sense, uh, human beings who are around during this event, um, our memories, which are functioning as a, an electromagnetic wave, um, basically get sort of wiped out during this uh, blackened uh, period. And what happens during that event is that you basically have this giant reset of uh, your 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 identity uh, at a spiritual level as well, and so according to Drumvelo, uh, this is directly related to what we've been uh, talking about the whole time, which is our personal Merkaba. And so we mentioned it, we've spoken about it a few times, but this is really what it's all about. Um, if at the point of the polar shift, um, a a person's Merkaba is not uh, active, which means that the electromagnetic uh, field is not spinning uh, properly around them, then they are basically left, uh, you know, quote-unquote defenseless against this EMP, and that sort of, um, you know, reduces that 
level of uh, frequency um, and in Drunvalo's man, um, description for the period of time that this uh, polar shift has happened, the reality is sort of flickered out of existence and uh, there is literally nothing. It's not just sort of dark or, uh, you know, can't experience anything, but literally there is uh, nothing there. Um, and then it sort of flickers uh, back into existence, uh, according to Drunvalo. So I, I can't attest to this personally in any way. Um, but what it seems to be is that that certain dimension, uh, the level of the dimension where that sort of being is there taking place, um, is 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 yeah flickering as it were, um, and the because of this, uh, that's the reason a that uh, these beings want to awaken their merkaba and be able to defend themselves, but that they actually got inside the ship and flew to the pyramid to wait there because um, in that situation they were sort of. Uh, dimensionally protected from being sucked into this uh, void that has been created. And so just to add on to that, uh, Drunvalo mentions that alongside, as as this was going on, um, during the time of the, uh, we'll call it the Great Void, um, the Syrians, who we mentioned before, who were also uh, spiritual beings, they went down to the halls of Amenti that we've mentioned, and that was where they sort of hid, as it were, um, while this void was <laughs> taking place. And as he mentions, um, he doesn't know where the Nephilim went, um, which, which, which is interesting and we'll, we'll talk about in a sec, um, but that according to him, they sort of uh, managed to uh, leave that dimension and wait uh, in another dimension until uh, it ended. And so it, it's not clearly stated, but this is just a very, very crucial um, uh, interesting point that a lot of time comes up, which is, if this is the case, if the Syrians and the Nephilim and the Atlanteans and all of these uh, spiritually advanced, you know, higher dimensional beings uh, were here interacting with with humanity, uh, where are they now? What happened? And if they're still here on Earth, why don't we see them? Why are there lots of TikToks showing aliens, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera? So I'm I'm not claiming that this is what Drunvalo says, but if we follow his uh, narrative and his chronology, which which differs uh, quite a lot from what Sitchin mentioned, it would seem that until the point of the void, um, all of humanity and Earth and the Syrians and uh, all of these beings were existing on a different dimension um, to what we are today, on a higher dimension. And according to him, what happened was that at the point of the void, all of the beings and all over sort of humanity all over the globe that didn't have their Merkaba uh, active, uh, activated at the time actually fell uh, sort of as it were from grace and fell down to this lower frequency, denser material third dimension. Um, and not only did they fall, but they actually sort of existed here without the memory of what had happened. And so... We've mentioned this, I think, a few times, and there's there's a lot of people who talk about it, this idea that we are a species with amnesia, that there were these tremendously advanced civilizations, and we do have a lot of evidence for that, but we have no idea where they went or what happened to them, and yet we do have evidence of um, very, very, uh, you know, lower-level technology, you know, stone working and stone tools, uh, coming seemingly after the chronology of these hyper-advanced civilizations. And so what could uh, 
explain this. Obviously, you know, some kind of cataclysm would definitely uh, answer that, but then it becomes a question of what would wipe out all of these civilizations simultaneously across the globe and not leave too much, you know, uh, uh, destruction that we could see. So uh, the flood obviously was one of these massive things that happened, but we see that even after the flood, things like uh, writing, you know, uh, appeared. So one of the answers that I've heard, or, you know, I think this can offer a certain explanation if you uh, prescribe to everything else that is mentioned, that this idea that humanity, all of humanity, was much, much more advanced and that this sudden, uh, quote-unquote, memory loss void, uh, falling from grace, uh, dropping from our higher spiritually evolved uh, state, uh, left us in this sort of, um, you know, amnesia, not knowing who we are or what we're doing, and basically, you know, trying to struggle to survive uh, in terms of our evolution physical uh, surroundings and then slowly sort of climbing back uh, through the the years to to where we are today so I don't know about you but uh, for me that that idea was a really interesting one to uh, to consider so anyway but that's more sort of my take on Drunvalo he just mentions in a very very small part that uh, you know the the Syrians and um, the Nephilim found a way to uh, hide from this dimensional void that was being created. Okay? So, um, again, the, the amount of time he sort of mentions three days uh, that it was, or three and a half days, um, it's said that it, it, it can be a, a different periods of time. And in general, to try and think of a term like day, when there's, you know, no uh, physical existence or a different dimension is a little bit uh, tricky. Um, but that's sort of the the period that we can imagine uh, when he's talking about this. So not an instant, um, but a, a rather longer period of time. And again, this is a story that's told in many different cultures, how there was this sort of void that happened for three days. There was darkness. Uh, you couldn't move, you know, uh, nothing was around. So interesting, interesting. But after this is where uh, we take a, another turn in our story, as it were. Oh my gosh, I can see lots of people join chat. Let me just welcome uh, Dr. Hufan. Welcome, welcome. I don't think I've seen any of you before. Uh, hang on. Teeth don't grind. Great to have you here. And this new hacker girl uh, you I, I recognize. Welcome all. Uh, I hope you're enjoying the episode. And if uh, you've no idea what's going on, then, uh, you know, just uh, feel free to ask some questions. But for now, we're going to continue uh, just a little bit further because I, uh, I have one more thing I want to mention afterwards. So at this point in the story, uh, according to Drunvalo, um, the void has sort of uh, finished and uh, they can enter back into this uh, dimension, as it were. And so they split up and uh, uh, Ra takes a third of the uh, Ascended Nicoles, as it were, um, a third of the group, and they go down uh, in the pyramid, uh, down to an underground uh, chamber. And in this chamber, it's a, a very, very large uh, room. And this sort of also leads to the underground city that we'd mentioned before, that uh, Edgar Casey uh, mentioned very briefly. Um, the reason for this is that uh, the Ra and the other Ascended Masters knew that during the period of time that's, that was coming, uh, there were going to be many more Ascended Souls that would be joining. 
And so they had this sort of uh, space, as it were, for them to uh, be. And uh, we'll, we'll talk about that more uh, later as well. In general, the story of um, Ascension. I, uh, maybe we should, I don't know if we talked about it much. Maybe we should do an episode about that, about uh, what it means that these are Ascended Masters and, uh, you know, the significance behind it. Uh, yeah, let me know what you think. But for now, let us continue. And so they actually stayed uh, there in Egypt. And uh, Ra and Aragat went in the ship with the other uh, ascended masters. And they uh, got to a place in South America, which is a rather famous place uh, today, called uh, Lake Titicaca. And we'll, we'll mention that just very briefly for those who have no idea uh, anything about it. I have to say that I've, I've never been, obviously. I don't think I've actually ever seen um, pictures. Um, I know it's a very famous sort of tourist attraction today, um, but it's uh, it's something that actually Sitchin wrote about quite a bit in uh, his books that we didn't cover at all. Um, and this was uh, a very significant place for the uh, older civilizations that were around there. And indeed, uh, in Sitchin's book, he covers in great detail the evidence um, in the place that show the smelting and working uh, with gold from obviously a time in history where not only was no one working with gold according to uh, mainstream science but that uh, there's no evidence of where that gold went after it was processed and used. But nevertheless Lake Titicaca is obviously a very important uh, place culturally and historically and um, it's something that appears in many, many books. So we'll 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 see the connection in a minute, because the last group uh, again, sorry, both and a third of the uh, Nicoles get off at Lake Titicaca and stay there, and then the last third and uh, Araragat go to uh, the Himalayas. And Druvalo doesn't go into great detail, but he mentions uh, very briefly that these are actually the um, starting points for the new civilizations. And so uh, when we think about those places and we think about them historically, we can see that it's, it's a very interesting choice to have those three places. Um, all three of those places had tremendous uh, sort of mystical schools and teachings that have survived through the ages and indeed uh, are very, very ancient in their connection to that sort of spirituality. And when you think about, you know, uh, the monks from Tibet or, you know, ancient Egypt and the uh, priesthood or indeed the, uh, the uh, ancient uh, Mayans in, uh, in uh, Lake Titicaca, we, we imagine these very, very sort of rich cultures in terms of their connection to um, a lot of these very spiritual concepts like the afterlife, like ascension, uh, viewing this world very much as sort of a temporary uh, existence, etc., etc. And so it's, it's just an interesting thought when we, when I at least consider, when we think about you know, the beginnings of civilization around the world and uh, uh, how we'd imagine that to have started or where it comes from. You know, we normally talk about it in the West, uh, in a very sort of uh, West-centric sense of the word and looking very much at uh, Europe and all the history that's going on there, etc., etc. We very rarely think of the Himalaya, I think, for us at least, as, as an important place historically for humanity. And it was only, I mean, for me, 
um, I think really when I when I went there, the, the first time I'd actually read about it was uh, an autobiography of a, yo uh, of a yogi, which was a very uh, powerful and meaningful book for me at the time. And in there you can really tell um, the author's reverence to the Himalayas, not as a place and not just as a spiritual place, but really as an entity. I mean, speaking about them as uh, as beings you know that are revered as interact that interact as as almost uh, gods in their eyes um and we see the same thing very much in uh, ancient egypt and egypt today as well obviously the uh, the pyramids are considered much more than just these magnificent so, uh, stone structures or even tombs um but today even today, they're still seen as um, religiously and spiritually significant places. Indeed, you know, people all over the world uh, not only come, but very strongly believe in, you know, the, the, the powers that they have for meditation and uh, aiding in all these spiritual practices. Um, and the same is true of, of Lake Titicaca. So these, these three places, which are, you know, maybe not so much Egypt, but relatively remote um, and relatively sort of not thought of as the beginnings of civilization as we uh, know them are, are interesting choices, I thought, uh, to draw that that was actually where our modern, as it were, uh, civilization uh, began. Now, what's interesting is, again, the, uh, the division of these beings between those places because it's, uh, I think, we, we've also spoken about it, Thoth, uh, played a very important role in ancient Egypt, the the civilization that we know of as uh, ancient Egypt, um, you know, four four thousand years ago, more or less. Um, Thoth was a, a very important god there, invented uh, scribing, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, so this idea that Thoth actually began uh, somewhere else um, is is something that might seem very strange. But as I keep saying again and again. Um, Oh, is that, uh, Rondon just shared a gift, is that Lake Titicaca? Is it? I wouldn't recognize it at all. Uh, but that's what I imagine it would look like today. It's, uh, yeah, filled with uh, hotels and this, uh, yeah. I, I think I saw it in a film once, actually, in an action film, where it's, yeah, just this tourist attraction. But its history is very interesting, uh, nonetheless. Um and so uh, this this is a, a, a you know a subject that we keep touching again and again, which is trying to trace these deities that you know uh, according to our uh, legends at least had these ships that could carry them to different continents, and yet um, cultures in those time never spoke of them um, as coming from a different place, as coming from a different culture. They always sort of spoke of them as originating with them. Even in the case of, you know, the Romans and the Greek, where we all uh, agree and is clear evidence because it's literally, you know, the Western cultures, one following another, we see that it's the same deities given new names, but nevertheless, they're still conceived by the Romans as being these uh, Roman, you know, entities and their cultures, and they're not uh, mentioned as, you know, Greek gods that crossed over to the new uh, culture. So because of this, um, it's a very difficult job, uh, I think, to be able to unravel and to trace the lineage of these different deities through uh, different cultures. Um, and that's exactly what uh, Sitchin did with his work. And Drunvalo didn't, I think, uh, didn't do quite the research as we think of it, but uh, the narrative that was told to him 
obviously follows the, uh, the, the the trail of Thoth and so follows his travels in between different cultures and indeed different times. Um, and again, Gerald Clark, I think, is uh, the master when it comes to this sort of managing to uh, network and map out all of these different deities and names through the cultures and seeing the chronology of how it passed. Um, but having said all that, it is uh, told within the culture. Now, I'm not as I've mentioned a few times, uh, an expert on South American cultures uh, per se. It's probably one of my weakest uh, areas. Um, but within uh, the Mayan culture, there is talk of the gods um, having sort of arrived and taught and, and started the civilization uh, and then left. And indeed, when they left, they uh, promised that they would uh, return one day. And in fact, for those who know uh, this story, this is exactly... Um, the reason why the Spanish invaders uh, were able to so easily uh, claim the country because when they arrived being uh, fair skin and white um, and having beards, um, they were perceived as the gods because that's what the gods uh, looked like and that's what separated the gods from the other men. Um, and so it was because of this, they were basically revered as gods and taken in and allowed to, you know, just uh, do what they want, basically, until they manage to conquer the uh, entire uh, culture, I should say. Um, so, having said all of that, uh, if we relate it, we can pick out this nugget, which is interesting and uh, crucial to us, where this little tidbit of information that the gods arrived and set up shop and taught what they taught, and then left, uh, seems to fall in line. This is a a very unusual tale. We don't hear of many gods who come and then go, you know, and tell us that they'll be back. Uh, you know, uh, Jesus may be one, but he's nevertheless not seen as going somewhere else, you know, in the world. He's seen as ascended to heaven or leaving us, etc., etc. Um, but the narrative that we are following through Sitchin's writings, through Drunvalo's uh, narrative, is of deities and gods who are sort of crisscrossing around the globe and, uh, you know, traveling between uh, continents. And obviously, um, if this were the case, then they would be having an impact on these different cultures as they came uh, into uh, contact with them. And indeed, we see that, I think, very, very much so, at least in um, Mesopotamia, and that whole period where uh, there was a lot of this sort of intermingling between the cultures and between the gods, and it was much more... Uh, sort of locally based, there were areas which were under certain gods more than sort of political uh, affinity and various sort of tribes or people that were, um, you know, that would move around as it were, that were more nomadic, learned to adopt the local, you know, gods, the local um, religions and, and learned to pay homage to the, the local deities that were there. Um, within all of that structure, we see a lot of sort of, again, moving around and different gods going to different places and changing names, etc., etc. So we, we know this uh, to a certain degree that this happens, and it's really not something that's difficult to uh, imagine. Um, and this, this, this at least in, according to Drunvalo, is what happened once again, that these different deities... Uh, Ra staying in Egypt, Thoth going to South America and Araragat to the Himalayas, um, spread out uh, around the globe and sort of started these teachings of civilization uh, once again, as we've heard that story as well many times. Um, and in the future, in fact, sort of left 
those uh, centers in order to continue work uh, elsewhere and uh, differently, as it were, and so on. Um, okay, well, let's see. What are we doing for time? Okay, okay, we've got about 20 minutes left. Um, so I... Do, 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 let's, how, how do you people in chat feel about all of that? Was that, uh, was that clear enough? Does anyone have any questions? Because... To be honest, I uh, I don't want to open a whole new subject right now because uh, we're closer to the end. Um, yeah, because next next week we're going to carry on talking. We're going to be talking about the sacred sites um, and and more about the uh, the conscience grid that was being constructed. Um, so th throughout this whole sort of tale, as it were, we remember that. Um, both and Ran Aragat began their work with the reconstruction of the consciousness grid in order for it to be ready uh, in time for humanity. And then once the uh, sort of void took place, um, this this again uh, happens to relate to the uh, void and the EMP, as it were. The, the <laughs> I call it the EMP. It's not exactly because it's not exactly... Uh, I suppose it is in a way, right? An EMP. It is an electromagnetic pulse in a way. So yeah, poles are shifting. Um, so in the same way that our sort of memory and our consciousness uh, would be affected and would be, as it were, uh, wiped, um, in the same way if there is a sort of consciousness grid that is inactive, um, that's still standing uh, when this void occurs, then it would, uh, as it were, sort of be wiped out and that level of consciousness wouldn't be uh, open for new souls to be able to uh, uh, join, um, which is why uh, Thoth and the others had to construct it and have it all uh, up and running um, and, and being active before the void happened so that after the void, um, the, the grid would already be there and would be able to accept uh, sort of new souls that were prepared um, to join. Uh, okay, so oh, Rondon says you have some off-topic questions. Well, let's let's hear some questions because I, I have my things. But uh, to be honest, like, <laughs> when I was uh, thinking about it, when I, we were talking about the um, the connection, ah, ah, you know what? I actually barely mentioned this. So let's let's very quickly, with the few minutes that I have left, just go over the uh, pyramid. Um, we mentioned this very briefly, but I didn't quite clearly state it. The other thing that Drumvelo mentions uh, about the ship is that the the way that the ship is powered, um, and, and there's sort of mention in a few people who've researched this and, and spoken about it, that there's, you know, different propulsion methods as we know. Um, but in fact, uh, as we said in the beginning of the episode, the ship itself was more uh, energetic than material. And so the way the ship itself um, acted and was uh, propelled was by connecting with the pilots, as it were, um, Merkaba and energy system. And so the ship itself was not merely a vehicle that was outside of, you know, uh, the physical body, but it was intertwined, um, as it were, spiritually, you know, energetically with the pilots, uh, Merkaba with their own personal, you know, consciousness, and that was... Um, how they were basically controlling it. And so both, you know, flying forwards and backwards, but indeed going, you know, through dimensions or, or uh, different, uh, you know, higher energy, higher vibrational abilities. Um, and it's, it's, it's funny to think that, you know, Drumvelo is talking about this 
the book came out in 19... I can't remember, early 90s, I believe. I'll check that in a minute. Um, and I'm sure that back then that idea would seem uh, sort of tremendously far-fetched or quite uh, sci-fi. Um, but today that that concept uh, seems to have sort of grown in popularity. Um, I mean, we can think of a few examples, probably the Matrix being one of the earlier ones where you're sort of plugged into this, you know, machine and then that machine is basically interacting with you on a sensory level uh, within your brain. Um, but uh, if we think about it more closely related, it's probably to uh, um, Avatar, I would say, in a certain way, where you're sort of connected to this drone, you know, directly uh, to your body, to your consciousness, whatever you think or move or feel, you're controlling, uh, as it were, this avatar. So it's it's interesting that this <laughs> very, very bizarre alien sci-fi technology that, uh, you know, if we talk about it then, uh, having a, even now, really, having a vehicle um, that's controlled, you know, by, by connecting with your spirituality, um, is a concept that today is actually uh, much closer than it was. There's there's another film. Is it is it Pacific Rim? I can't remember. I'm not sure if I saw. It. There's a film where they're in these giant giant mech suits, and you need two pilots for some reason. All this technology, and you have to have two people, and those two people have to be exactly in sync, sort of consciously, and uh, and only that way they can power the ship. Does anyone know what I'm talking about in chat? Never mind. <laughs> but uh, I remember I remember seeing uh, something like that. So it's uh, that that according to Drunvalo, that is the nature of uh, this ship and how it works. And indeed, this ties in once again to um, it being used as a defense uh, mechanism um, when it's sort of necessary. Uh, according to Drunvalo, there is a person who is, uh, you know, pure enough, as it were, <laughs> that's able to uh, find the ship and use it uh, in cases of emergency in order to uh, yeah, do what's necessary and defend uh, the planet. Um, though, though that anecdote, the reason I didn't bring it uh, in detail was I feel that it doesn't have a lot to add to our understanding of everything. It's just sort of one of those quirky things. Um, but anyway, I'm going to stop my uh, blabbering about that. Um, yeah, no, so Rondon, let me know what uh, what questions you had. I just wanted to talk a little bit about, um, well, the idea of this ship connecting to uh, Merkaba um, and sort of talking a little bit about magic and the concept of magic uh, historically. Um, but in the end, I decided against it because I felt it was a little bit too uh, off-topic. It's just, I, I personally have a great interest in uh, magic. I should say uh, magic with a K, right? That's the... That's the way we uh, differentiate them today, I think. Um, but uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's a very dear subject to me because, well, I think because it's, um, you know, something that's very, very far from our day-to-day -day understanding. And when we talk about magic, we usually talk about, you know, illusions um, and something that isn't real. Uh, whereas when I'm talking about these sort of energies, the ship, uh, you know, Merkaba and all these different things. I am talking about uh, the, the reality that we all uh, recognize as such. So, um, yeah, what do you guys think? Would you like to hear about uh, magic or is that a little bit uh, too off topic? Because I'll be honest, I actually uh, we don't have that much time left, to be honest. Well, let me know if you want me to mention it uh, next week. We do another episode. Um, for now, let's first of all take care of some of the uh, um, 
what do you call it, maintenance that we uh, always forget on the show. Um, after us, do we have a uh, post-up? They, I can't see him in chat. Uh, it was a great episode last week. I have to say, for those who are listening and in chat, I uh, I really enjoyed it. I, I'm very uh, upset that I don't always make it because it's rather late once I finish the show here. Uh, but if you get a chance uh, to tune in, it's right after this show. So it's 11 o'clock UTC. Um, and it's a great show. If you have any of your posts on uh, Hive or... Uh, anything that you want to share and get the attention. And uh, I don't actually know the name uh, of the guy, so I'll call him Avian. <laughs> but uh, yeah, he's a great uh, presenter. I uh, ah, I wish I could be like a, a DJ like that. I, this is the only mode that I have, this sort of uh, slow, quiet, uh, <laughs> contemplative uh, thing. I wish I was more energetic when i do videos for youtube it just really sounds like i'm so depressed all the time i promise you i'm not this is really just the way i sound um but anyway it's a great show and if whenever you get a chance to catch it um it's really it's really good um oh i see someone has posted on for oh frankie one i didn't see you were here welcome thank you for joining uh covid bill started a 180 day countdown for ufo disclosures i'd love that i have to say i've seen a few countdowns for uh, ufo disclosures um <laughs> over the past few years i i do think it'll happen at some point but i think uh i don't know i think we're still pretty far away there's a there's a oh, what's it called ufo i can't remember exactly but it's like a, a not a convention it's oh my gosh they basically they're acting under the Freedom of Information Act to try and get the government to share all of the information that they have on UFOs. It's a whole big thing. I can't remember the name of the life of me right now. The UFO Council or the UFO something like that. Um, and it's all you know scientists and ex-military uh, and, and 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 you know respectable people. It's not a bunch of uh, of uh, uh, you know <laughs> um, characters, shall we say? But. Um, yeah, they've been working for a long time. They have lawyers. They have a, a convention every year. They've really been growing both in popularity and in uh, and in really uh, the strength of the movement. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think the last one who was really close to doing it was uh, JFK, no? Um, who was really trying to uh, get them to release what they know about the UFOs. So we'll see. We'll see. I hope. I hope it's true. 180 days. That You know, oh my gosh, do you know how long 180 days is? I'll never remember in 180 days to uh, test for it, but uh, we'll see. Anyway, I hope they do, nonetheless. Oh, you arrived late? Well, that's fine. Also, if you ever want to, I'll just mention, you can always catch uh, the show if you've missed it on all your podcast apps. Just look for uh, DZP Podcast. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I'm on most of them by now, so uh, you can have a look. Um, am I a Kabbalist? Is that like Kabbalah or Kabbal? There's a difference. Um, I'm, I'm probably both to be honest. Um, but yes, I, I, I my take on Kabbalah, as it's mentioned in, uh, as it's pronounced, I should say in English, as opposed to, uh, what do we say in Hebrew? Kabbalah? We don't say Kabbalah. Kabbalah. I've now, I, I don't know how to pronounce it. You've confused me. It's like bowl. But, um, I read, um, uh, Eliphaz, Eliphaz Levi who is a French uh, writer, and he was a, a sort of, uh, I don't know, uh, Gnostic, I think you'd say, alchemist. Yeah, Kabbalah. <laughs> um, and, and he, sorry about that. And he 
I really enjoyed his writing. Honestly, he is sort of one of the pioneers who brought this, you know, very secret, uh, mystical uh, Hebrew uh, teaching to the West. Um, one of the first ones who connected it with astrology, who connected it with the tarot's. Um, he did a lot of very, very interesting work, uh, specifically with uh, with the Kabbalah. So I did enjoy his writings. My, I am, uh, I'm very biased. I grew up, you know, with Kabbalah at least, you know, to a certain degree in the concepts and having it around me. So I've always been tremendously demystified um, of it. And, and honestly, I, I do have a little bit of a, a you know, uh, a, a little bit of... Uh, think you know negativity towards it like still stored up uh from my childhood which i'm trying to work through and i'm trying to deal with but i can't say that i'm completely uh neutral uh when it comes to all uh, jewish related things um having said all that obviously uh, you know at least to me all religious spiritual teachings have a uh secret teaching as well have a have a mystic school have a mystic side uh to it um, that that I've know of at least. Uh, I'd be interested to hear of any that don't. But uh, all of these secret teachings um, agree on a great number of uh, things. Obviously, there are some differences and mostly sort of different languages, different ways of thinking about it. Different, but when you get right down to it, there is so much agreement amongst all of the uh, secret mystical schools that. Kabbalah being one of them, in my mind, is equally right to, you know, Sufism or, I mean, I'm not going to list any of them because I'll embarrass myself by the ones I forget. But basically, if you go through the list, I, I really enjoyed for a long time, uh, I can't remember when it was, when I was in my uh, late 20s, but I, I really went through a lot of these different uh, mystical uh, secret uh, teachings aside, which is funny because now, you know, is books upon books upon books about all these subjects that for many, many years were sort of uh, guarded, uh, you know, uh, till death uh, by most of these places. Um, yes, I cult, exactly. But, uh, well, we'll, have, we'll mention that as well in a minute. But yeah, I, I, I sort of was very, very, I think, surprised at first and then sort of pleased. And uh, with time, the more you learn... Um, and the more variety of them you learn, the more you see the patterns, the easier it is uh, to pick up the new ones. So I, I don't think that uh, Kabbalah is unique or special, uh, you know, any more than the other secret teachings. But I do believe all of these secret teachings honestly have probably more to teach us, at least nowadays, than the more common uh, known uh, religious counterparts, I would say. Um, but that's my take on it. I have heard some interesting theories by... Uh, some, some some learned folk, I should say, um, about why that is that suddenly, you know, in today's age, all of these tremendously secret teachings uh, that were really, when you think about some of these things, you know, Tibetan monks, for example, or, or you know, Sufism, all of these things, you would literally um, be killed before you divulged the secrets. You know, we mentioned sacred geometry in, in Greek as well. Um, and suddenly, and, and, and very... Um, sort of unanimously, all at the same time, all across the globe, um, so many of these teachings have come out. And this isn't just, as I think, uh, I thought in the beginning, as can be claimed, sort of the, you know, the age of information and the internet and just the accessibility uh, making it possible. Um, this is also uh, people coming out and indeed many 
um, students being told by their teachers, uh, this happened in India a lot, uh, you need to go and share this with the world. It is now time uh, for you to share this with the world. And that seems to be a theme uh, that, that we come across. And indeed, in, in Druvalo's writing, we come across it as well, that some of these teachings, some of these writings were given to people thousands of years ago who were told, this is not for you. Uh, this is for the future. Humanity will need this information one day, and you are the keepers of that information. You must keep it a secret because others will seek to destroy it because it's important that it survives. Um, and when the time is ripe, this information needs to uh, come out, as it were. So there's uh, that's probably a massive subject for us to uh, open up at the end, uh, but just a little tidbit uh, if you're interested and if you want to check into it a bit further. I was, I was very, very... Um, yeah, surprised when I discovered this. It's, I think there's also, you know, a bunch of memes today talking about um, Native Americans especially, um, talking about, you know, the time that, that, that humanity will wake up and that these uh, spiritual teachings were sort of kept um, for all this time in order to share with the world uh, one day. Um, and I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that uh, Hermes uh, Trismegistus also and his writings uh, given to people saying, you know, this isn't for you, this is for future generations uh, to come. So, uh, yeah, interesting. Interesting that today, I mean, I think we all feel very, very uh, blessed to have access to so much uh, uh, varied information from, from so many different time periods, from so many different places and cultures and languages. I mean, honestly, if you read English or understand English, you have access to a phenomenal amount of different languages that we just didn't have access to before. You know, people didn't speak those languages as it were, or, or who could translate. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a very interesting subject. Oh, sorry about that. It's a very interesting subject and uh, take on these things. Um, right. Oh, so, God, that was ate up all of our time. Wonderful. Well, I, I hope you enjoyed it. Rondon, you didn't answer if we have a post up afterwards, I'm assuming. Ah, I see. Oh, <laughs> I only now understood your message. It was too much and I couldn't understand uh, what it was. Um, yes, either way, uh, Crimson Clad, do you have a show after at 12 o'clock UTC uh, as usual? Uh, you should definitely stay tuned for that um, wherever you are around the world. Yes, and post up is up next. Great. So this is the the full night of the week, guys. You get three shows in a row. It's like, yeah, it's a it's a serious business. So make sure you stay for that. Post up is up next. Krim is up afterwards. Krim does a, a, a music show, really worth uh, tuning into, and just you know cruise through. It's like uh, smooth sailing from now on. We we've, we've got this locked down working really well now right when beginning i was uh oh <laughs> well that that ruined uh everything uh yeah so crim is at one utc so that's nice you got a couple of shows now you can take a little break for an hour and then come back just in time for crim uh to seal the deal all right guys well i have to go that's been the end uh i hope you enjoyed it and i will see you all hear you all speak to you all next week until then, bye.